little video to watch right after that, if that works. All right. Lord, um, what we're about to talk about is incredibly important to you. And I want all of us to have the right heart about it. And, and I want to have the right heart and the right words. And uh, sometimes my thoughts are limited. I know I don't see things as big as you do. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would control my thoughts and my tongue this morning. And that what we talk about would be truth. It would be edifying. It would be encouraging. And at the same time, Lord, I pray that it would be correcting. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. cruise ship or battleship. And uh, I, I was thinking about what we were going to teach on. We did Fruit of the Spirit. And this has just been in, in my head, not necessarily those two words, but thinking about church and what our mission and purpose is, has been in my head. And I don't know about you, but have you ever been discouraged by church before? I'm the only one, so I'm preaching to a few of you. Okay, here's, I want to be very careful what I'm saying, because I want you to realize that this isn't just my church or our church or your church, or, you know, the church you grew up in, or the church that you've become a part of recently. This is Jesus Christ's church, amen? Okay, so this is what he's coming back for, his bride. Not just our church, but Big C Church, all churches. And 
there's, there's been a lot of things that have come into church and what we think of church that I think have changed how we act in church, how we live in church, how we behave in church, if that, if that makes sense. Uh, recently on the news, there's a, there's a leader, leader that's fallen. Uh, it, it came out that he had some immorality in his life and it's been there for a long time. And the church didn't deal with it correctly. And it's one specific church, but there's been a lot of stories like that through the years. And that kind of really surprised me at first. And then I started hearing more accounts and you go, okay, you got to believe the people that were victims in this situation because there seems to be some truth here. And where there's enough smoke, there's what? Fire, right? And, and you start thinking about this and you realize that everybody's fallible and everybody can fall. And no matter how great somebody is, you don't really know what they're doing or what they're dealing with. And I think it's important to remember that. But I, I think sometimes what we've done is we've placed our hope, our future, and even our plans in the hands of leaders, strong leaders, or good churches. And, and my question is, do those churches more closely resemble a battleship on a mission or a cruise ship. Now, I know you went to, on a cruise recently. Now, I'm not knocking cruises. I want to go on one. So if you ever want to give me a ticket, hey, I'll take it. Um, cruises and vacations are great. Amen? I love them. It's good time to get away, do things like that. But I want you to realize when we're called into faith, when we're called to follow Jesus, we're not called into vacation. We're not called into comfort. We're called into battle. And if we're judging everything based on comfort, then yeah, we're going to be a little bit lopsided. And I think sometimes that's my frustration is I'm basing things off comfort or I expect things to be easy. I expect things to be nice all the time, smooth sailing. And, you know, if, if the chairs are too hard, I'm going to complain type of mentality. You know, that's what you expect on a cruise ship, that, that you're served, right? That's what you expect because you bought the ticket and that's what's been promised to you. Well, sometimes I think the church promises cruise ship, but what it's supposed to be when we look at Scripture is battleship. Battleship. Now, let's imagine that you've enlisted in the Navy and now you're on whatever ship that you're on and you're out there and you try to get a hold of the captain to let him know that you're unhappy with the food. realize that there's no pool on the deck. How is that captain going to respond? Do you think that's going to go well? Do you think that conversation is going to go well? No, it isn't because it's a completely different concept, a completely different thing. So sometimes I, I think we're expecting comfort over what God actually promises in his word that says that we're supposed to be a team, that we're supposed to be a family, that we're supposed to, to be in battle. The other thing is sometimes I think we're, and I've been guilty of this too, we're judging things through the filter and through the eye as a cruise ship. And uh, it's not just, it's not this church, it's, it's not. It's, I think, all of the United States, you know, when they, people go to try to find a church, that's what they look for. They look for a good service. They look for, well, they want the good music. They want this and they want that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. But if that's what you're basing your decision off of, of where I want to attend church and where I want to go, then 
you're kind of missing the point of the gospel. You're missing what Jesus taught. Because Jesus didn't say life is going to be easy and I'm going to make it great for you forever. And basically you're entering heaven as soon as you agree to, to be led by me. No, instead he said that we are in a battle, we are in a war, and that the world is not going to like us. They're not going to understand us. And if we're really following Jesus, then the same things that happened to Jesus are going to happen to us. But here's the thing, in any organization, in any business, things always slide towards comfort and ease. What's easy? What's comfortable? And sometimes we forget our directives and our orders that come from the real captain, which is God. Amen? And so if we're on this journey together and we're on this, we have to kind of decide in our heart and in our mind, am I going to have the cruise ship mentality or am I going to have the enlisted battleship mentality? Are we here for pleasure and for to kind of, you know, feel nice? Or are we here to serve the greater mission, which is the kingdom of heaven? Is it my needs that's dictating what I do, how I do, and how I feel about things and my attitude towards things? Or is it going to be that I am in service to the king? I'm enlisted, I'm in service to the king. Very different mentality, right? How many of you are kind of with me right now? You understand what I'm saying? Just in some ways. Okay, good. Okay, I, I want to make sure that you're with me because I think this is so vitally important because uh, we are to be on a mission as a church. I appreciated uh, Jesse's message last week. I got to watch it. And I appreciated how he talked about our identity in Jesus Christ. And this is a part of that identity. Uh, God calls us to church together, so we need that. Like, uh, There's a lot of Christians that aren't here right now. They may be out on the reservoir. They may be out doing something else. They may be mowing their yard, and they're not connected to church for a number of different ways and for a number of different reasons. And if you look around us today, there's probably a lot of men that should be here that aren't here. And I wonder why that is sometimes. I think it's sometimes because we feel or we sense that there is something missing at church. There's something that should be there. There should be something that's just a little bit different than what it is. And I think it boils down to the mentality that we have. Are we on a cruise ship or are we on a battleship? Is it easy sailing and floating or are we on a mission directed by God? Because if we're on a mission directed by God, then it's imperative that the crew show up. Amen? It's imperative that we put our blood on the line, that we are all in. That we realize this isn't about comfort or ease. This is about something greater. That this is about the kingdom of heaven. This is about God's kingdom being established. I, I want to read a, a little bit out of Mark 1.1 1, 1 this morning. I think we got that. Do we have that verse? No, okay. <laughs> this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. And Mark 1.1 is talking about who is the messenger. It's, it's John the baptizer. So Jesus is arriving on the scene, and his cousin, John the baptizer, is a little bit in front of him. And John the baptizer's whole mission is, is to prepare the way, to clear the path. 
He's supposed to go in kind of like a, like a shovel and just scoop everything out of the way so that when Jesus shows up, there's already a clearly defined path that he can follow. And in fact, if you look through some of the Gospels, you see that a lot of John the Baptizer's disciples go and they follow, they follow Jesus after they meet him. Because there is a clear path and a clear plan. And so the disciples understand that, that it's not about John, it's about Jesus. It's not about John, it's about Jesus. And I want you to know that when you come to faith, the church really isn't just about you, it's about who? Jesus. It's about Jesus. And we're all called to be the messengers of Jesus. So here's the question, one of the questions I have this morning for you. Am I a messenger of Jesus or a passenger? Am I a messenger or a passenger? When you come to church, are you coming to church to be a passenger, to kind of sit and watch and, and hear whoever's speaking and, and, and sing the songs, but, but, but primarily you're at the show, you're at the concert? Or, or are you understanding the church is something more than just a meeting on Sunday? It's supposed to be a, a unified mission that we're called in together. We're supposed to be uh, trusting in each other and have trust in Jesus to the point where where we're looking in the word of God and we're saying, what am I to do today? Okay, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to accomplish the mission that God has placed before me. If you're like me, then sometimes the cruise ship mentality takes away from that, pulls away from that, and we forget to remain on mission. Matthew eleven seven through 15. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. I love this. I think about this at least once a week probably. What kind of man did you go in the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? Was he wearing a nice suit? Did he show up to church that way? (laughs) No. People with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from that time on, John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses look forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one of the prophets said would come, anyone with ears to hear, should listen and understand. Let's go back, just, I think it's one, violent people. The kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. Is that, is that boldness? Is there boldness in that? I think what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, hey guys, you need to be a little bit like John the Baptist. Don't worry so much about what you wear as who you are. Don't focus so much on comfort and ease and richness, but instead do what? Instead, advance the gospel. How? 
forcefully. Now, does that mean we pick up swords or that we get on a legitimate battleship and fire cannon? No, 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 no. That isn't in context with the rest of the scripture. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is there is a boldness to a messenger. There is a realness and a rawness to who John the Baptist was. He wasn't afraid. In fact, he gave his life. His head was chopped off because he spoke the truth. Guys, gals, sometimes we're afraid to speak the truth or type the truth on Facebook or say the truth to someone we love or remind them that what they're doing is walking in error because we're worried about what they may think of us. Forcefully advancing. How many of you want more boldness in your faith? Because the Lord knows I do. Lord knows I do. You know what it requires though sometimes? It requires stepping out. Stepping out. You don't become brave by waiting for it. You don't become what Jesus wants you to be by waiting for the perfect moment. Instead, it's stepping out in faith and allowing the Holy Spirit to step in and intervene where you're weak. Braveness has nothing to do with fear. I think John the Baptist fought fear. But he didn't allow it to stop him in his mission. He didn't allow comfort to stop him. He was called to a higher calling than riches. He was called to a higher calling than comfort. He was called to prepare the way for the master. To prepare the path for Jesus Christ. Is that our job today? Is it our job today? I would say, when you say that I'm going to follow Jesus, when you make that decision to, to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and to ask forgiveness for your sins and you realize that Jesus died and rose again for you, what you're doing is you're enlisting into the army of the Lord. And instead of picking up a gun or learning basic hand-to-hand combat, what you pick up is the word. And you know that weapon, and you know that defense, and you know it, and you learn it, and you use it to fight the battles that are around you. And you use it to discipline yourself and to become the warrior of Christ that he wants you to be. We're all called to be messengers because I want you to know that Jesus is coming back soon. And we're called to prepare the way. There was one John the Baptist before. Now there are millions that are called to this. There are millions upon millions that are enlisted. The question is, are we more focused on comfort and ease and retirement and this great thing and that great thing? Or are we focused on the eternal, the mission of the King, Jesus Christ, and His return? Because the mindset and our worldview will very greatly change how we act in church and outside of church and how we think of church even. I want you to know church is not a building. It's not the meeting from 10 o'clock till 11.15 or whenever it lets out. No, instead it is the people of Jesus Christ from everywhere moving forward in the kingdom of heaven, forcefully advancing. That's what you're a part of. It's not the 60 or 80 people that are here today. You are part of millions upon millions upon millions that have been bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And they're on mission. They're on mission. I almost argued myself out of uh, calling this cruise ship or battleship because really, when I think of the church, I think it should be more like an aircraft carrier. That there's things that happen on base, but the primary mission happens outside of it. 
That's what we're called to as Christians. You know, we're not called to just be the church in here. We're called to be the church out in the world to make a difference wherever we are. So what stops us? What stops us? You know, what has stopped me before? 1 Timothy 4, starting at verse 1. And there's a header above this in most Bibles. It says, warnings against false teachers. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, and I would say that we're in there now, sometimes that word is end times in different translations, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their, consciousness are, their consciences are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. So what they're doing is they're establishing laws within Christianity. But God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with what? Thanks. All right. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and by prayer. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you'll be a worthy servant of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Do not, do not, everyone say do not, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly all of all believers. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young, but be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encourage the believers, and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you have received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your task so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Say true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation, the salvation of those who hear you. What's on the line? Your salvation. What else is on the line? The salvation of those who hear you may say, well, I don't pick up a mic and I'm not like Timothy, the pastor there. I'm not a preacher. I guarantee you that your life is preaching something. Your actions are teaching and preaching something. Is it the word of God? Is it the word of God? How you live your life. When people look at it, do they say, that person is saying something with the way they live. The sake of your salvation and those who hear you is on the line. I I love the words that Paul uses because he doesn't mince words here. He's very strong. He says, this is how it is and you need to be strong in your faith. And don't get involved with those people that are arguing over foolish things. Sometimes... I think the church, 
not just our church, but the church is arguing over stupid things, so they're focused on myths or wives' tales. Sometimes I wonder if Paul could come back and, and speak to the American church now. What would he say? Would he say, stop trying to follow the best business practices and start following the Word of God? Would he say, stop following the things that you read, the modern books that you have, and instead start following Scripture and read what it says? You know, would he say, get back to your first love and get back to the mission that is so vitally important to the church? When I got back from our little trip, I uh, was in the office on, on Monday and I came over to the round table and I saw the time to revive Bibles and like, I think over half of them are gone. And, and you guys picked them up. I hope that you've thought or prayed about who you're going to share those with or you've given them out already. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you have, but, but I, I, was, I, I was warmed and I, and I felt good that you guys had done that, that you had picked up some books. And I, I thank you for supporting him financially too. Uh, I heard that he got about $300 just from the free will and we sent him another check uh, from our church itself. But I want to thank you for showing generosity to him and then for getting behind the idea of the mission and picking up some of those Bibles to share. I think sometimes we, we think that missionaries are the people that, that set their life apart and that go into it. But I want you to realize that Paul himself said, all of us are called to do the work of an evangelist, which means that we may not be great at it, but we're supposed to at least try, amen? That we're supposed to present the gospel through our actions and through our life, yes. But also sometimes we have to hand them a Bible and say, this is the word of God. Paul's words to Timothy are, are so powerful, and I think they apply to us as well because we're all called to be messengers. In our salvation, and the salvation of others is on the line around us. 2 Timothy 4.1 just is another verse that we're going we're gonna to look at. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will sometime judge the living and the dead, and when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And they will direct the truth, reject the truth, and chase after myths. Another translation says fairy tales. What are the fairy tales that Paul is speaking against? What are the fairy tales that, that can so easily, easily disrupt us? I think one of the fairy tales that sometimes we buy in into small ways is the idea that God exists to bring us comfort and joy all the time. That God's primary, primarily interested in our happiness first and foremost. But if we read the scriptures, if we read the gospels, we have to understand that that, not, that isn't true. God's primary interest is the salvation of those who are lost and those who are dying, and those are going to be eternally separated from him. Amen? 
His primary interest isn't that we have the best donuts in the lobby and the best coffee or that we have enough to meet everybody's needs, but that the gospel of God is preached and that there's fellowship and unity and true love and that people come to know him, that people are baptized and saved. That's what makes a church more than the donuts, coffees, and the comfortable pews. The history of the Brethren Church is interesting because they were tremendously persecuted, and that's why they came here. They were persecuted for their faith. A lot of them lost their lives by the hands of other Christians, people that professed to be Christians because they said, well, if you're not part of the government's idea of what the church is, you're not part of what the church is, and your teaching is heresy. They were upset because they were dunkards, you know, dunking people in the water. You shouldn't do that. You should just sprinkle them when they're babies or infants. That's what they thought. So a lot of people died and, and lost their lives. They weren't afraid. But when they would meet, they would meet in small houses and even some of the other, uh, they would meet out in the woods and, and they would worship together quietly so that they wouldn't be murdered and they wouldn't be killed. But truth be told, sometimes if it rains, there's less people in church today. Is that cruise ship or battleship? Is it convenient to come to church? No. Is there a lot of more fun things you could be doing or entertaining things you could do? Yeah. But if we're on a mission, then church matters. Amen? And I'm not just talking about the building or hour together, but the fellowship of believers and the commitment to the idea that we are serving the king together. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Prosperity, peace, comfort. And a lack of call. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Psychology. Happiness. So Paul, this wasn't new. Paul had to deal with that back then. When I was uh, researching this, I stumbled across a blog. And, and this, this is written by a, a man who uh, I believe is a missionary, and he wanted to talk about this. So this is how it sprung up in his mind. I want to read it to you. In our home in Russia, Denise and I have several black lacquered boxes, little boxes. They are precious Russian works of art. They were painted using a centuries-old technique, and each box contains up to 16 layers of paper mache. The work is so intricate, in fact, that the scenes on these boxes were painstakingly painted with a brush containing only one single hair. Then when the painting was finished on one of these boxes, the artist would burnish it with the tooth of a wolf. I think we have a picture of, of one of those boxes, if you can pop that up, Joy. I don't know if you can see that very well. Maybe you can dim the lights a little bit, John, so they can see it. Okay. So... And there's layers upon layers of, of, of paper that made that up and then painting with a single hair. It's a really tiny artwork. When the, when the painting was finished, it would be burnished with, one of the tooth, with the tooth of a wolf. Four main schools taught and performed this method. And when the art form first began in Russia, the intricate scenery on these boxes primarily consisted of pictures like this of religious icons and scenery depicting religious events and nobility. But the art changed under the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution. Under communism, the artists who masterfully created these works of art were no longer allowed to paint religious themes because atheism had become the religion of the state. 
Because these artists still possessed their amazing talent and desired to continue creating these magnificent boxes, they stopped painting religious iconography, graphic, I can't read, man, icons, and began painting fairy tales instead. We have a picture of one of the fairy tales. You guys know what that story is? What is it? Red Riding Hood, so yeah. Um, they continued to work in the same artistic style. But new subjects began to appear on the boxes. In addition to painting scenes from popular fables or painting depictions of mythical characters, these artists were commissioned to paint pictorials of the revolution, Soviet labor, industrial giants, and communist party leaders. So these gifted artists didn't stop painting. They simply stopped painting the truth. Every time I look at one of these boxes in our home, I think of a generation of artists. I think of a generation of God-called ministers many of whom the Bible says will change. Having once preached the truth, they will begin preaching something other than the pure truth they once ministered. That's convicting to me. That's convicting to me because it's easy to get up here and preach three ways to have a better life. It's a lot harder to get up here and say, this is what the Word of God does. Do our lives match up? But one of these is truth and the other isn't. You know, one of them has the backing of God's word and the other is more, you know, just self-help. And I don't know if you realize this, but it's awful hard to help yourself, huh? Like if you're messed up enough, and I think I am, I need somebody greater to help me and that's Jesus Christ. I need something bigger than me and that's the word of God. I have to have truth that's spoken into my life. And there's a time where I saw after the newest writing, the newest Christian book, the newest Christian song. And I was looking for some form of salvation in that instead of seeking Jesus Christ the Savior in His Word. Because that takes more effort and work. But I want you to know, some of you are feeling hungry right now and looking at your watches probably. But I want you to know that you should be hungry for the Word of God at least three times a day. <laughs> you should be desiring to know what God's plan is because He's the one that speaks truth. And He gives it to us in His Word and we have such easy access to it. And yet sometimes I think what we do is we want pre-chewed food. Gross. We want somebody else to digest it all. And maybe the only word of God you're getting is when you come here to church or when you go to a Wednesday night meeting or when you go to Sunday school. That isn't enough to live off of. Not spiritually. You have to have the word of God. You have to listen to the king and his directives every day. So what's the truth? 2 Peter 1.16 for we were not making up clever stories, other, other versions say fairy tales or myths, when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw His majestic splendor with our own eyes. Is there, do we have the other verse 17? Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> well, okay. So that verse then goes on to talk about how they were eyewitnesses and how Jesus came down and, and, and he showed up and they heard the voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
And what Peter is saying and what the rest of the disciples say when they they write in the scriptures, and even Paul talks about it as an apostle. He says, we were eyewitnesses to this. This is the truth. This is the reality of what we're living. And now our life is backing that up because we are the messengers. We are the eyewitness account. And, And sometimes I think we lose the context of what he's talking about there when he says witness. It's like he's in the court of law and he's saying this is the truth and I you know, I'm going to swear to the truth and say only the truth. And I'm before all of you as this witness saying, this is what happened. Peter, who lived his life, the rest of his life, following the mission of Jesus. He lived on a battleship for real. Like he, he sought after God's will. And he went out and did what God wanted him to do. And eventually he was martyred for his faith. He was killed. See, the cruise ship is about you, but the battleship is about the king's mission. The cruise ship is about being served, but the battleship is about serving. Amen? I think we're called to something so much greater than a cruise ship, guys. I think we're called into the mission of Christ. It's so much more powerful, it's so much stronger. If you get attacked while on a battleship, you are prepared and trained to respond. On a cruise ship, they pamper you. On a battleship, they prepare you. I don't want to lie. The world isn't going to get a whole lot better. It's not going to get easier to be a Christian. It's going to get harder. Are you disciplining yourself? Are you prepared? And is our church working as something that will prepare you? Are we operating like a battleship or are we trying to get closer to comfort? Timothy 4, 1 through 4. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith. They will fall deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. They'll create other laws. But God created these foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. Are you receiving the word of God with thanks? Are you prepared to join in a mission and not in a cruise? Is your life ready to adjust and allow the king to be in charge, allow the commander to be in charge? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the examples of the saints that have gone before us. I thank you for not dealing with us harshly, but instead treating us with your love and compassion, and yet still calling us into your mission. Lord, I do thank you that you are the God of comfort. It says that in your word, and I thank you that the Holy Spirit is a comforter. But Lord, I know that we're not called to an easy life. That's not what you mean when you say comfort. But what you mean is that we have peace through the storms. That we have trust in you through the difficult times. And God, I don't know what lies ahead or, or what difficulty is coming. But I know that your word says that we're called to be on mission. 
And God, I pray that you would burn that within our hearts and our minds, that we would have a desire to know what our directives are, that we would have a desire to know what we're called to, and that we would dig into your word on our own, that we would just trust whoever's speaking to us, but we would find truth in your word.